It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. It is Thursday, October second, two thousand and eight. We're live on your computer tonight, and we appreciate you being a part of this important study tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is with me tonight. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight, as always, on the Virtual Bible Study. We always look forward to it. Hope that we have uh, an interesting topic to continue our discussion tonight. Jacob, last week we dealt with what has sort of surprisingly become one of the most controversial subjects we've ever had on the Virtual Bible Study, and that has to do with the role of women, really. And we didn't do a good job last week because there were a lot of questions that were left hanging over from last week. That's right. In fact, I had some people who said, you know, I listened to the archive and I couldn't decide what you what you thought about that subject. Or you didn't so you didn't cover this part or uh, you didn't, d- enough. Or you weren't definitive enough to give us the answer that so, we were looking so for. So we messed up. We're going to try and make a re- remedy that fa- uh, problem tonight. Well, at least we're going to give it more airtime. We're going to talk some more about this question that has been generated uh, by virtue of the fact that John McCain has chosen Sarah Palin to be his vice presidential running mate. And so several weeks ago, we suggested that this was a topic worthy of our consideration. And we put a poll out there that's been going on now for probably four weeks, Jacob, probably something like that, three or four weeks. Yeah, maybe three. Uh, and uh, just to update you on our poll numbers, it's still out there on our website. If you have not done so, you're welcome to go to our website and and register on our poll, our ongoing poll The simple question is, could you vote for Sarah Palin to be vice president of the United States? The underlying issue, of course, is can you vote for a woman to be in a a high elected uh, position like that? Uh, Right now, our poll is running at 24 percent say no, they couldn't. Seventy six percent say yes, they could. Now, that's obviously an unscientific polling, but still it's running as it was last week at about four to one in favor of the fact that a woman could hold that position. So that tells you where we are on that. We want to keep talking about that this week because there's still a lot of interest. In fact, right now, as we speak, Jacob, the uh, vice presidential debate is is taking place in St. Louis. Uh, we expect that our number of li- live listeners this week may be reduced by the fact that a lot of people will be wanted to take in that vice presidential debate on TV. So maybe uh, some of those people will be able to pick this up in archive version. But uh, it's it's a question. It's a hot topic right now. Well, we do have uh, some loyal listeners out there who are listening to us rather than uh, the political uh, candidates tonight. So maybe you'll hear less bickering tonight. And uh, I hopefully will agree with you more than those two uh, debaters will agree with themselves. Yeah, yeah. If, uh, if you get tired of the fussing back and forth on the TV debate, Tune in the Virtual Bible Study, and we'll just try to calmly talk about the issue. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. We want to talk about this important subject, Dad. We're not the only ones talking about this subject. An article in the National Tennessean today uh, tells us that the Baptists are, are contemplating this issue as well. 
Yeah, an, an article, as you said, in the Nashville, Tennessee, and says, uh, quote, uh, well, the, the, the heading of the article is, Palin Pick Divides Baptist. Southern Baptist Conference leaders differ on role of women. And it goes on to say, Southern Baptist leader Richard Land felt elated when John McCain chose Sarah Palin as his running mate, but the Reverend Vody Bocham, the Southern Baptist preacher, was aghast. Land, president of the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, praised Palin's leadership skills and conservative values, but Bocham, I hope that's, I hope I'm saying that, Beecham or Bocham, a pastor at Grace Family Baptist Church in Texas and a regular on the Southern Baptist speaking circuit, blasted the female choice as, quote, anti, an anti-family pick. McCain's decision has reignited a debate among Southern Baptists over women in leadership roles. Most Southern Baptists believe the Bible bans women pastors and commands women to submit to their husband's leadership, but they disagree about whether those biblical restrictions apply outside the church and home. And that's exactly what we've been talking about, Jacob. That was the discussion last week. I think we'll see that's what the discussion continues to be tonight with uh, uh, already a number of emails that we want to cover. And and we seek your input, too. If you have not emailed us your thoughts on this, by all means, do that. Let me. There was, I'm not going to read this whole article, Jacob, but there's one other interesting observation here. This land, who's one of the heads of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, it says biblical. He says biblical restrictions for women don't apply to any workplace. So if elected, Palin could decide whether the U.S. should invade Iran, but she couldn't decide how to discipline her children without her husband's input. Now that's sort of an interesting take on that, and uh, probably shows you just where we are on this question. Uh, she would be a woman of considerable authority, Jacob, as vice president. Even if she just stayed vice president, the potential of her becoming president, she would have, she would hold literally the highest office in the world if she became president. All right, and uh, that is an interesting quote that she could, if if if, if we hold this view that uh, the women in authority issue is only in the home and in the church and outside of the home and outside of the church, she can do anything she wants to do. Then we do get ourselves into this quandary. I mean, we're showing the extreme here of taking that position. As pointed out in this article, she could decide where the men in the army go to fight and potentially lose their lives, but in the home she couldn't. She couldn't have that authority. Yeah, it's it's, uh, and that's just and that just sort of strikes to the heart of the matter. What it, what are the limits uh, that the Bible places upon women? We want to try to understand that. We're we're very much interested in in. Um, Finding out what the Word of God says, oh, and, and we got to be careful about it. That, that that argument is somewhat of um, a hypothetical and sort of assumes the point. It may be perfectly acceptable for her to take that position outside of the home and still be in subjection inside the home. We got to find out what the Bible teaches. A lot of our emailers, Dad, surprisingly, uh, have a lot of that uh, rationalization in their. Uh, responses and not a lot of scripture in their responses. Yeah, and we want to get to the scripture, and, and I think that was the failing of our program last week that we didn't deal enough with the biblical uh, passages and try to get to the heart of those. We're going to do that tonight. Before we get to that, Jay, I want to skip ahead to one email that you commented about just a minute ago before we went on the air. Uh, this this short message was from Bob, and he apparently didn't like us last week dealing with this topic and probably won't like the fact that we're dealing with again this week he said 
it is not, as your qualification said, that the discussion was not going to be about politics. This is a movement. In other words, our discussion of this, he says, is a movement to get more expression for politics in the pulpits without losing tax exemption. So I, I take it from Bob's message that he thinks we should not be dealing with this as a church. We shouldn't be dealing with this topic. We had said last week, and I will repeat emphatically, Jacob, I know you agree with me, that we are not in the business about talking about politics on the virtual Bible study. That's not our uh, that's not our realm on this program. Well, we've got political points of view, just like everybody else does. And uh, in private, in a different setting, in a different context, we would be glad to tell you what our political points of view are. But that's not what the virtual Bible study is about. The virtual Bible study is about Bible. I don't. And, I, I, I even hesitate talking about politics. I'll tell you why. It, 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 you're talking about in general. In general, with other people, politics uh, divide and isolate. We as Christians are trying to have an influence on everyone. And so my position on tax cuts for the middle class or um, uh, other political issues really are inconsequential. And by standing up and being dogmatic about those, I can isolate a lot of people. And so I'm even hesitant to talk about politics in general because I don't want to make enemies on things that are really inconsequential when stacked up next to scriptural. You don't want to make enemies. You don't want to make enemies where you don't. Right. Have I, I don't care. I, you know, it's really does God really care what we think about um Tax cuts or tax. the economy or something like that. Or, or the new highway going through the, the state. You know, yeah. Is that something we need to make enemies about? We need to be careful about that. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. But I want to reiterate that we're not talking politics here. We're talking moral issues. And the Bible does address moral issues, and God does have a position on those things that he reveals to us in his word. And that's what we're seeking out. And so to Bob and to all others, I want to reiterate, we, we are not here to endorse one political candidate above another. We are not here to endorse one political point of view over another. We're here to talk about moral issues, and and moral issues are are at stake in this election, sometimes in many elections, but certainly there are moral issues at stake in this election. And as Christians, we have to be concerned about those kind of things. All right. The number to call is 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We do hope to hear from you on the program tonight. Dad, let's go ahead. And at the start of the program tonight, instead of squeezing it into the end and and uh, and not stating our position clearly, let's talk about where you stand, and uh, I think I stand with you as well. Well, as we discussed last week on the program, I think the the key text in this study is First Timothy chapter two. I think this now there are some other Bible passages that come to play, but I think this is the key one. I think we I think we narrowed that down. And what we said last week, and let's concentrate on 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. I'm just going to read this, 1 Timothy 2, verse 8 through 15. Paul says, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not in the uh, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. And that's the King James version of that passage under consideration. I think is not limited. This is the question. 
is this passage limited to behavior within the church assembly? A lot of people are saying that they think that it is. And I think that most of our listeners to the virtual Bible study would agree that women have uh, a restricted role in what they can and cannot do in the public assembly, Jacob. I, I think most would agree about that. I think so. Not everyone religiously would agree with that. In fact, many religiously would not agree with that uh, conclusion that you made. But I, w- I would think that most of our listeners would agree that women need to be limited in their uh, in their roles in uh, w- worship and in the church and in the family as well. Yeah, and in the worship assembly in particular, I think 1 Corinthians 14 is clear on that. This, 1 Corinthians 14 is clearly talking about the woman's behavior in the church assembly where it says, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it's not permitted unto them, unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's a shame for women to speak in the church. So that that would be if someone were going to ask the question about women preachers, for instance. I think the passage I'd want to go to to discuss with them would be 1 Corinthians 14. Right. I'm I'm of an opinion, in my understanding of 1 Timothy 2, though, the longer passage that we've read just a moment ago, I don't see that passage being limited to behavior in the assembly. Um, it starts out in verse 8 by saying, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, not in the church assembly specifically, but everywhere, lifting up holy hands without doubt and wrath, death, without doubt, excuse me, without wrath and doubting, uh, you know, those who think that this is a specific, a specific prohibition concerning conduct in the assembly are going to have to deal with what's a very obvious thing there in that first verse where it says everywhere. Uh, so th- that would that would be a tip off. And then it goes on to say in like manner also. In other words, I also have something to say to the women. And he tells the women that they should adorn themselves in modest apparel. We don't believe that women are only required to dress modestly in the church assembly. In fact, through the years, I've heard many lessons on modesty. All of them reference this text, and they're not saying women have got to dress modestly in the church assembly only, but are saying in general women should dress that way. All right. And then immediately following that instruction, which appears to be general, we have the instruction in question. Yeah. Then come the couple of verses uh, that are in question. Verse 11, the, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. I suffer not a woman to teach nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Then he gives, now that, those those two verses are are the key verses, but then he gives the reason why it is that way. Why Why are these rules in place? Why is it so that women are to be in subjection to men? Because Adam was formed first, then Eve. That's That's reason number one. Reason number two, Eve was the first in being deceived and transgressing. That's reason number two. So he gives two reasons why that's so. Then verse 15, the last verse, he says, the woman, she, the woman, will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity with holiness of the bride. In other words, I believe what that verse says, it uses the word childbearing to represent the whole realm of, of woman's work, woman's women's role as assigned by God. And one word is used to describe the whole of that. And she needs to assume that. Right. And by assuming her role, she can be in the same relationship that a man can be in with God by assuming his role. That's right. In other words, she can't do what a man can do, but if she does what God has planned for her to do, 
this will affect to her salvation because she's she's doing what God wants her to be doing. And and the word childbearing there is just used to, as representative of that. Now, now what you said in, in summarizing your argument, we need to take a break, but what you're summarizing your argument, you said that there's nothing in the entire chapter of chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, there's nothing in that chapter that would give any indication that it is limited to a worship assembly. That's my understanding. No language there. That would do that. In fact, when we get to the end of the chapter, we see a general application of why a woman should be in subjection to a man and uh, makes the general reference to uh, childbearing there, the general reference to modest apparel, the general reference to praying everywhere. And so we believe the context then demands that it be outside of the assembly. A general rule about where how men and women are to relate to one another. But you may disagree, and we'd like to hear from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. If you do disagree, please give us a call or send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to take a break and be right back after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we will hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study. We're talking about uh, women assuming the role of vice president tonight. Is it acceptable to God? And really, um, Dad, this is a fundamental question that we need to have an understanding about. As women, uh, we need to understand it. As as men, we need to understand it. Uh, we need to know what God's will is for us and our roles uh, that he's put for us. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Let me read to you some statements from E.M. Zur. I think a lot of uh, our listeners uh, are familiar with E.M. Zur and uh, a commentary, uh, a whole Bible commentary that he wrote. And I, I just uh, got a couple quotes from his comments here about First Timothy chapter 2. He references verse 8 about lifting up holy hands, and he says the lifting up of the hands is merely an allusion to the ancient practice of presenting the uplifted hands in respectful petition to God. That the men were to pray everywhere shows the apostle was not especially writing of prayers in the public assembly of the church. Verse 9, and I'm I'm just picking picking up some highlights here. I'm not reading it all. He says, verse 9, in like manner, the expression in like manner in verse 9, is from a Greek word that Thayer says means likewise. It is as if the apostle says, furthermore, I have something to say about the women. He goes on. The proper general demeanor of women, especially as it respects her relationship to man in all walks of life, is the subject of the rest of this verse and of the rest of the chapter. Neither does it apply to the public assemblies any more than to social life. Therefore, it is a perversion of this chapter to make it a regulation of quote, women's duties and privileges in the church, unquote, for the passage was not written for that purpose. 
verse 10, again, just picking out a few uh, passages here from his essay. He says, we know, verse 10, we know Paul has not been writing exclusively of the public assembly. In truth, he has not been considering that subject as much as in other places. For we do not regard the assemblies as the places for the practice of good works, as the expression is commonly used. Then he says, the apparent difficulty is caused by misunderstanding the word silence. It's from a Greek word. Their first definition of that word is quietness. And his explanation is, quote, descriptive of the life of one who stays at his own work and does not meddle with the affairs of others. It is the word for quietness in First Thess- or excuse me, Second Thessalonians 3 and verse 12. Uh, someone asked me, what about the woman being silent? Does that mean she, has to, she can't ever open her mouth? And if this is not just limited to the church assembly, that means she can't ever open her mouth anywhere? Yeah. And the word silence there means to be quiet, or, or, and, and that's talking about a demeanor rather than absolute silence. And let me read that other passage, Second Thessalonians 3, verse 12. Second Thessalonians 3, verse 12 uh, says, Them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. And so it, it, it's just talking about the, the demeanor or conduct of a person. It's not saying that they can't ever say a word. Um, then also, in, it, it, he says, concerning the women with all subjection, the last word is from a Greek word which Thayer says means obedience or subjection. Uh, if a woman presumes to teach over the man and hence act in an authoritative way, she violates this verse, whether it be in the public assembly or in the social circle. So there's E.M. Zur, uh, just some comments from him. Now, it- he made an interesting point there about she should adorn herself with good works. How do you do that in an assembly? When she can't do anything, in other words, she can't teach, pray, or do other things in the public assembly. So she's going to have to be manifesting. She, she can't manifest those kind of good works in the assembly. Well, almost, I guess her good works would be she listens attentively and sings heartily, and that's the adorn- I, I don't know, but, it, but I think, as you say, that that's an interesting point that if she is to – be clothed in good works, that that in itself would almost indicate it's talking about things done outside the assembly, not in the assembly. Right, because if this whole context is in the assembly, then the, everything that you read about here needs to be done in the assembly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's Zer on First Timothy chapter 2. I agree with his conclusions. Uh, that's not to say that you couldn't find commentators that would say otherwise. I'm sure that yeah, you could. Yeah, it's just a man's opinion on it. That's right. Zer is just a commentator. He's a man. He's, he's fallible as all others. And so take it or leave it, but... I tend to agree with his reasoning. There's a line of reasoning there that I think is logical. It makes sense and therefore deserves some consideration. We cannot just dismiss it out of hand. Uh, we need to give some thought to that. We'd like to hear from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. What do you think? Do you believe this passage is applying to just men or does it apply, I mean, just in the assembly or does it apply everywhere? We need to hear from you. If it applies everywhere, that, that answers our question. Can we... Could we put a person in an office who doesn't have God's approval? That's why I think that text is the key to the discussion. And I think to all of our listeners, that's where you got to make your decision. Uh, I think people are coming to different conclusions on it, but you got whatever conclusion you reach, you got to you got to reach it somehow harmonizing your view of what if that passage is. If it is a a blanket a statement about a woman being in subjection, then later on in First Timothy chapter five verse twenty two. Uh, Paul's instruction to Timothy was lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be a partaker of another man's sins. If 
this and he's talking about putting people into an offices they don't need to be in there in that context if if we want to if we so-called put our hands on on Sarah Palin and say you be our vice president we want you to be our vice president then we are being a partaker in her sins by showing the approval of that I think that's the key the question is could we participate in putting her in that office it's not a question. We're going to talk about this when we get to some of the emails. Jacob. It's not a question. Is if she was in the office, would we have to be in sub- subjection to our leaders, to our rulers? I think that's a definite yes. The, the, you, we, we have to be. But the question is, could we participate in putting her in that office? That's the question we're trying to deal now, with. Now, there is an objection to the point you made, uh, and it comes from First Timothy chapter 3, beginning of verse 14. Where Paul writes, these things write unto you, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou ought to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So what the argument is, is that Paul has written the things that we're talking about in First Timothy. He wrote this book so that Timothy would know how to behave himself in the church. Well, we are in the church. We're in the church, but not we're not only in the church when we're in the assembly. Okay. Uh, for instance... Uh, go go just a little further in chapter 4, verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be an example of the believers in word and conversation in charity and spirit and faith and purity. Does that mean just when we're in the church? No, uh, Just when we're in the assembly of the church? No, we're always in the church. We're always a part of God's family, the household of God, uh, the house of God, he says there in verse 15, the church of the living God. We're always a member of that family as Christians, and therefore... Uh, this epistle was written to tell us how we should behave ourselves as members of that family at all times, not only when the family is in the assembly, worship assembly, but at all times. Here's another example of that, uh, that point that you made in in First Timothy chapter 6, talking to rich people in, in verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy just in the church or everyday life. In verse 18, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, just in the church or... Just in the assembly of the church. In the assembly of the church or everyday life. You know, they talk that they needed to be, um, that they do good, that they be rich in good works. That sort of parallels the instruction to the women in First Timothy chapter 2, verse uh, 10, uh, that they uh, adorn themselves with good works. So, again, the idea is here that uh, perhaps the, the instructions aren't limited to just the worship assembly. All right. I think, Jacob, we have got to start getting to these emails. We had some left over from last week. We've got new ones coming in. I want to try to cover them all this week. We had to let a lot uh, pass last week. So our purpose is to try and cover all the comments that you all have sent us. And the first one I want to talk about is from Garland, who says um, the context of 1 Timothy 2 is clearly spiritual, not carnal. Paul's concern in his letter to Timothy is leadership in the church, see chapter 3, not any other realm. Paul is writing to Timothy about, quote, the household of God, which is the church of the living God, 1 Timothy 3.15, not secular matters. I don't see any indication that God has any concern for leadership in realms outside the home and church. Um, he says these rules are to govern our behavior in the, re- in the realm under consideration, not in every realm imaginable. God never shows any concern for matters of worldly leadership, uh, in my opinion, so neither should we. Um, First of all, I don't agree that this this whole epistle is just talking. We were just talking about that, Jacob, and I, and, and I don't agree with Garland, who says that the whole epistle is just talking about things involved in the church, in the assembly. He, he says, for, here, here's another quote from 1 Timothy, the same epistle. 
In chapter 2, verse 1, I exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and givings of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Even that would, I think, I would have to respectfully disagree with Garland. Uh, I know Garland, and I respect uh, his scholarship, but I would have to disagree where he says God's not concerned about leadership in governmental affairs. Uh, It seems to me that that verse suggests that he is and that we ought to be praying for those in those positions. So I don't... don't, And I don't want to take Garley out of context, but he says, quote, God never shows any concern for matters of worldly leadership. I don't don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. Romans 13 says, verse 1 beginning, let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Rulers are not a terror to the good works, but to evil. Uh, he says in verse 4, for he, the civil government, is the minister of God to thee for good. If thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. I think civil governments are, are of a concern to God. And so, again, I, I would uh, respectfully disagree with Garland uh, of, uh, on that point, but hey, I sure appreciate the email. And if you're listening, we do want to hear from you if you would agree with us or you disagree with us. If you agree, disagree with us, especially on the interpretation of First Timothy chapter 2, we would like to hear from you. We would like to hear your point of view. Wayne writes in, Dad, says the Sarah Palin situation has made me rethink the role of women in society somewhat. I like what she stands for and what she says, but I'm having a problem still being able to say that she can lead a nation but cannot lead her family or church in prayer. So although I would much rather have she in the White House than the other ticket, I wish I could be more convinced that this is scriptural for a woman to occupy that role. He makes a similar argument uh, argument that the article we read earlier. He says he's basically saying saying the thing the Baptist said, you know, we're going to let her be this uh, hold the highest office in the world, the most powerful position available to anybody in the entire civilized world. But she can't uh, do things in her family without checking it out first with her husband. We could talk about how if she occupied that role, she would by default have authority over her husband in that role, too. Yeah, that's right. That is true. If she she were in that position, then even her husband would be subject to her in that matter. Um, We said we weren't going to talk politics, and so we're not going to get off in that. But I'm sympathetic with what Wayne said there. You know, I think a lot of people are liking her politics a lot better than the politics of others who are in this race. And that's what I think is really a challenge in making it harder is that we see some of the some of the political points that she holds as as being something that we're sympathetic with. And and therefore, it's hard to say we can't vote for her, even though we may agree with her political points of view that and so wayne mentions that and we should comment about that let's take a break and when we come back we'll hopefully hear from you we do want to hear from you on the phone tonight if you disagree with us on first timothy chapter two please let us know your thoughts we will be kind to you and we just want to hear what you have to say 877-381-4567 or email your comments or questions to questions at collegeu.com don't go anywhere the virtual bible say will continue right after this Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. Have you ever thought what it would be like to be the last remaining Christian in the whole world? Well, think about this. 
A tired and discouraged Elijah proclaimed to God, quote, I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 10. He was wrong, of course. The Lord explained that he had 7,000 who remained faithful. But what if Elijah had been right? What if he really was the last remaining faithful servant of God in all the earth? Two things seem clear. First, first, he could not have used this as an excuse to give up, to surrender, to stop doing the will of God. And secondly, the urgency of his work would have been even greater. The need for his proclamation of God's word would have been even more pressing. There's a lesson here for us. Have you ever felt like you were alone in your stand for the truth? Has it seemed like no one else was committed to doing what was right? If so, you should take heart in knowing that there are many others who share your convictions and dedication. You are not alone. As in Elijah's day, God knows and has an accurate count of all those who are faithfully living for him. But even if you were the last faithful Christian in the entire world, you would still need to work hard to teach and practice the will of God. This would not be an excuse for you to give up or surrender in your service for him. In fact, your work would be even more important than ever. If all men were to let us down and we truly stood alone, we would still have this promise from God, quote, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And our reaction to this truth should be, quote, boldly to say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what men shall do unto me. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Christian, you are not alone. You have a host of faithful brethren who stand with you and you have the almighty God of heaven who supports you. Stand fast. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. This is Jared in Warwickshire, England. Listen to the chat from the Virtual Bible Study each Thursday night. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The vir- And welcome back to the program tonight. I'm sorry for the technical difficulty there. I hit a button that I shouldn't have hit, and we muted everything. So, uh, and uh, as, back? as our camera person pointed out, now when we have technical difficulties, everybody gets to laugh at the frantic uh, looks on our faces. Because, uh, <laughs> That's we're trying the first to- time since we've been on the air that we had... One of our technical crises. That's right. And so you get to see us pulling our hair out. We want to hear from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We're talking about whether or not we could vote for Sarah Palin. and put a Not, woman, not from a political point of view. Put a woman in that position. Let's, we'll say if she holds any political view you want to hold, can she be in a position of leadership like that? All right, let's keep reading these emails. You can see we've got a whole stack of them here. Uh, James in Columbia, Tennessee writes, The scriptures are vague on the role of a single woman, in my view, since her role is defined around her husband and children. However, the scriptures are abundantly clear that a married woman is to submit to her husband, Ephesians 5, 22 and following, 1 Peter 3, verse 1 and following, raise and love her children, Titus 2, show hospitality, 1 Timothy 5, uh, which describes what widows should have done in days past. Uh, something I'm seeing in that email, Jacob, is that James is saying a single woman might be okay in this. Maybe a married woman couldn't be okay in that. Uh, I think married women obviously have additional uh, instructions from God about their role and their relationship to their husbands in their families. But again, if if uh, with my understanding of 1 Timothy 2, then it doesn't matter whether she's married or not. That's a general rule about women as they relate to men in general. Uh, so I, I would say that I don't see that being uh, a factor. Then uh, he says, I would anticipate some pushback about Deborah being raised up as a judge. Why would God raise a woman into a role he disapproved of her holding? We commented briefly about this last week. Several of our emails are going to mention Deborah. So I want to just look at that real quick. In Judges chapter 4, verse 4, 
It says, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time, and she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. I, I personally do not view what Deborah did as being a, a ruler over the people in, uh, as a president or vice president would be a, a civil ruler over people. The judges of those days were not like our judicial judges. In other words, they didn't decide right and wrong. They didn't pass down legislation. They were giving God's judgment. That's how they were judges. God was using them to reveal his messages to the people, give his answers to the people. She was. She's actually called a prophetess. We know there are other women who were prophetesses, who had spiritual gifts, miraculous spiritual gifts. And I see Deborah, Deborah in that vein. I don't see her as being a leader over the men of the nation. Uh, in fact, as I pointed out last week, I think it's rather notable that in that same chapter of Judges chapter 4, when they went to battle, when the army of Israel went out to battle, Deborah didn't lead them. A man named Barak led the army. Why was that so? In other cases where there were male judges, they led the armies. Gideon, for instance, was a judge. He led the armies of Israel when they went when there was battle to be fought. Deborah didn't do that. Why? I think there's some implication there that that's not a role of a woman to be in that kind of a leadership. You, you know, though, women in those days also offered sacrifice. We don't do that today. So really going to the Old Testament saying, well, there's a woman who did it in the Old Testament really doesn't prove the point. We are living under different standards today. Well, but I think the point is if this goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, like First Timothy 2 says, you know, okay. God's God's general rules for men and women date all the way back to Adam and Eve. And part of the reason why it is the way it is is because of what happened in the garden. Well, God's rules for marriage go all the way back to the Garden of Eden as well. But there were exceptions made under the law of Moses. Yeah, some of the rules were different concerning. So we can go back. We can skip over the law of Moses and go back and establish rules that are different than the law of Moses based on principles that were before Moses. Yeah. All right, we got more. Jacob, take another one of these. All right, we'd like to hear from you at 877-381-4567. Send us your emails to questions at collegeview.com. We do want to hear from you on the program tonight. Jim in Mount Pleasant says, yes, I do think she can hold such an office, although I cannot say I believe it is scriptural. Why? I believe that Romans 13 verses 1 to 5 tells us that the state government serves a a different purpose for God than we would often like. In that sense, it serves the purpose of control and oversight for a country or nation and also provides for our own protection as one who beareth not the sword in vain. Though we might feel more comfortable as Christians with men in control, when it comes to government, we are at a loss as to how to affect such events. He says, right now there are women mayors, governors, congressmen, and senators. If our conscience prohibits us from being under these women, we are left either to be in anarchy or to leave this country. Esther served as queen. What power as queen she had was not clearly mentioned, yet Mordecai's advice was that if she worked for God on behalf of his purpose, she would do his will, Esther 4, verse 14. Can women hold positions as teachers in public schools where will where they will be, quote, over young men who are in their teens and may be Christians? Can women hold positions of authority in businesses where they may be over men who are Christians? What about positions in colleges, the military, et cetera? How far are we able to go uh, to exercise our authority in the realm of subjection. Should women stay out of the marketplace altogether to ensure that the concept of subjection is not violated? 
will we eventually put them in burkas to ensure that no men lust after them? My answer then is based on the realization that one extreme, having nothing to do with any women anywhere who have any positions of authority, is not possible in our current society. What am I to do when told to stop by a police woman? Thus, it leaves me at this time with this answer. What well, do you think? Real quick, uh, we've got a phone call coming in, but real quickly, um, yes, we do have women who are in positions of authority. That's that's accepted and understood, and we're supposed to be in subjection. If a police woman stops me, I have to stop. Uh, I'm to be in submission. The question we're dealing with here is, can we help to make it so that a woman is in a position of such authority? I think that's a big key difference. It's not a question of if she's in the position, would we have to do what she said as a queen, as a policeman, uh, as a congressman, as a governor, as a mayor. If she's in a position of authority, then we're taught to be submissive to our rulers. That's uh, that's one point. I, I don't dispute that point at all. The, what we're debating here is can we contribute to make it so that a woman would be in such a position? Can we give our approval of that? Can we, can our we give our Yeah, can we give our endorsement of it by a vote, by saying, yes, I think it's good for a woman to be there, and I'll help to make it so. That's that's the question. And, and, so, and I, I, Jim said, yes, I do think she can hold such an office, although I cannot say, quote, I believe it is scriptural. Well, it, it needs to be scriptural if she's going to hold that that office. We need to yeah. we need to have authority for it, or else we can't do it by faith. And he asked another question: Can women hold positions of authority in businesses where they might be over men, and so forth? I get it. I, I know this is probably very politically incorrect, and there might be a lot of people who would differ with me on this, but I'm not comfortable with that either. And I wouldn't want my wife to be in a position, even in business, where she'd have to oversee men. I'm, I'm not comfortable with that well, based upon first Timothy Before we two. go any further, we, we didn't start the program with this, but we need to say it now. We do not believe that women are in any way inferior to men. In no way do we believe that a woman is, is one ounce inferior to men, Dad. In fact, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus the way God views us is that we are all on equal footing. We just have different roles. Exactly right. All right. All right. So that's thank that's, you, Jim. Let's, let's go ahead and kill that uh, that uh, objection right now. We do not believe that women are in any way inferior. Let's go to the phones and welcome Joe in Columbia. Joe, welcome to the virtual Bible study. Uh, yes. Uh, you know when when you get to uh, look at the woman in the home, you know, and, and you know, talking about authority, I guess my question would. Uh, you know, does the woman, in your opinion, does, does she have the authority to interview, hire, uh, or uh, fire uh, like a contractor at, to come do work at her home? And this could be like a widow woman, uh, as simple as mowing grass, plumbing, uh, this type of thing. Yeah, that's a great question, Joe. In fact, that... Uh, you're, you you raise a question that one of our other emailers did. We haven't gotten to it yet, but I think your question's a good one. Um, and I, th- I think it's 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 a it's a you know it's it's a, it's a question that we got to deal with. I I actually view there's being some difference. I don't know if, I don't know how significant it is. There's some difference between hiring someone to do a job for you and being the boss of that person. In other words, uh, if I if 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 I hire a plumber to come and run a drain line for me. There, 
we sh- we have a relationship in which I'm telling him what I want him to do and how, but I'm I'm not the boss of him. As in other words, let's say that I call this plumbing company and they send out, you know, Fred the plumber, one of their employees to do this, run this drain line for me, and and I could a, a, a woman in that position could say I want this drain line to go down here and under the house and out there and and point out how she wanted that to be done but she would not be over him in this in the same sense that his boss back at the office is over him uh i think there is some difference in that relationship uh, i don't know how significant that is but i do think there is some difference what's your thinking on it joe well uh you know to me it's 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 been a separation between the the spiritual realm you know, between the church and home. And, uh, you know, and sometimes even these relationships will will go a little deeper. For example, if you're in the design phase of a home or something like that, and, you know, let's say the woman was not happy with the way that the process was going and decided to go with someone else, you know, then she would be in authority over that, you know, designing whatever, and, you know, she could hire, interview, and, and even fire someone. But, again, I, I've always placed a separation between the authority, you know, in the church and, you know, away. And, and so, and, and so uh, and then, you know, and then another question is, you know, let's say you had a, a, a woman who owned her own business, you know, and even at, an, at, at, at home business, uh, you know, sometimes you might get into some, she might be doing some interviewing and hiring people to do certain works for her in a long-term type of thing. And then she would be in the authority to... Well, but there, there, Joe, that would, what, what we would have to decide there is if that's wrong, then, mm-hmm. in other words, we can't reason from the conclusion. We can't right. reason, we can't right. say, well, there are women who have businesses and they're over men, therefore we have to say it's okay for women to be right. over men. We, right. we, there we would have to answer the question. I gotta tell you again, personally, I wouldn't be comfortable, uh, to have a woman over men in a business arrangement and therefore, I wouldn't want my wife to start a business wherein she would have to have that kind of authority over men because I, I'm, I'm just based upon First Timothy 2. I'm not comfortable with that conclusion. Right. Right. So uh, I, I think I agree with uh, with you that we've we got to look at all these different scenarios, but I think one thing we got to be careful about is saying, well, these kind of relationships exist already, therefore it must be okay to do that. And maybe we need to rethink a lot of those kind of things. Thanks, Joe, for your call. That's really something to think any, about. Any final thoughts, Joe? Uh, no, that, that's it. Well, thank well, you. Uh, well, I'll, yeah, okay, I'll back ahead. up on that. What Go. about Aquila and Priscilla? Uh, you know, in, in Acts 18, where they, you know it was a teamwork thing, and, and they were teaching. Uh, you know, they were teaching someone who who needed teaching, but it, it does specifically say Aquila and Priscilla. Right, Acts 18, uh, verse 26. Right. Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of the Lord more perfectly. So she taught. She even had a hand in uh, teaching a man, and it was clearly done in the right way, in subjection, and and with her husband, and right. so forth. So that gives us some insight that, that women can do certain things, but 
all of it has to be within the framework of being improperly subject in a, in a mode of proper subjection. Thanks, Joe. Okay, thank you. Appreciate thank it. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate your call. We do appreciate Joe for calling tonight. We're going to take a quick break. We're, at it. We're behind schedule. We'll go to the top of the hour on the other side, and we'd hope that you will give us a call or send us an email. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the Virtual Bible Study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the Virtual Bible Study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Hello, my name is Kent Bumgardner. My family and I love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. Please join us. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the program. We're glad you're part of it tonight. We do appreciate your participation. We appreciate Joe's call. We appreciate all our emailers for your participation. And you may listen to this program in the recorded version, and, and you may disagree with us or you may agree with us. We'd like to hear from you whenever you're listening to this program. Send us your thoughts to questions at collegeview.com. Dad, but we have plenty of emails, and we're going to have to go fast. We're going to get through them to, again this week. Yeah, let's. Uh, what we're going to do here, we want to get all these emailers in. We're going to read them and just very briefly comment. We want to get all these done before the program's over here in just a few minutes. So quickly, Randy in Missouri says, he says, I see no reason in Scripture to prohibit a woman from fulfilling that role. The Bible is silent on women in any supervisory role except in the family and the church when in authority over men. Do I think it's best? No. He says it would be better for her to be a stay-home mom with her three children. But he says, I've been asked to decide between two sets of candidates. One supports most of the values I support. The other set is contrary to most of what I believe. One of the foremost issues for me is abortion. Given that choice, I'll support the ticket with the woman. Uh, and so that's Randy's view. All right, Don in Antioch, Tennessee, says it is unscriptural based on 2 Timothy 2, verses 12 through 15, which give the command and the justification. I think we all know the consequence. If not, just look around. The whole problem with today's society is the result of ignoring these verses. All right, let me give you – Don sent a follow-up email. He says, I don't, he says, I don't vote at all and have not voted for many years, so I certainly don't want to be accused of being for a party that supports gay rights and killing babies. But in answer to the question, the, the best way to answer this is to refer to past programs concerning God's plan for women, including their role as mothers and wives. So, uh, And we have dealt with uh, women's roles before, so thank you, Don, for those inputs. All right. And we have an email from Rita in Indiana. She says, my husband works for a large corporation, reports directly to a female. Is it any different for her to hold this position than for Sarah Palin to hold the office of vice president? My answer to that question would be no. I don't believe it's any different for a woman to hold a position of authority over one man than it would be to hold a position over, of authority over uh, – but, 150 million men. But in answer to what she says, should her husband leave her, his job because there's a woman supervisor over him? If you find yourself in a, in a situation where a woman has authority over you, you should be in subjection to your masters. You should be in subjection to your civil rulers. We're taught to be in subjection. Our question is not if if that situation exists, 
what to do. Our question is, can you help to make that situation be that way? You need to be clear about uh, that because you were misunderstood last week. Someone someone thought you had said that if you if there you cannot have a woman as a boss, you could not be under a woman boss or under a woman governor. No, I, I don't believe that. If I said that or, or, okay, or if I misspoke, I, uh, I'm saying if you're in that situation, then you'll have to be submissive. Our whole debate about this is can we contribute to making that situation so? All right, Rita goes on. I teach high school in a local school system. Two of my students, both 17-year-old males, are faithful members of the church. While I would not teach them in a Bible class, I have no problem instructing them in my classroom at school. Is this any different? Notice what she says. If we contend that it is wrong for Governor Palin to hold the office of vice presidency, then we need to examine all such situations. I would agree with that. And again, the consequences don't make it right or wrong. Yeah, I, I think what we got to do as Christians is be careful of saying, well, we've been doing this stuff, therefore it must be right for us to do this stuff. <laughs> Maybe we do need to rethink some of those kind of things. So I, I, I think we should be open to that at least. All right, go ahead. Uh, we got an email from Sarah in Kentucky who says, uh, uh, I, don't, I am an elected official myself. I wouldn't want to be a hypocrite and say I couldn't vote for a woman. However, placing her in a possible position of president, I would have to say no. Also, listening to others say they feel they are voting for the lesser of two evils, I say do as your conscience lead. Don't vote. Plain and simple, don't vote if it's a violation of conscience. And that's – I absolutely agree with that, you know. We've been talking about this. Obviously, people are pretty passionate about it. And if you've got a conscience, as I do, I have a conscience about voting for her in that position, and then I've got to be true to my conscience, and I think everybody does. All right. Uh, you want to get into Keith's email there? Yeah, we got an email that included uh, an essay written by a, a friend, Keith, up in New York. And, and I'm just going to read part of this. It's a rather lengthy exchange, that, but it says – Uh, Keith says, if having a woman as a ruler is a curse, Israel was cursed by the rule of godly Deborah. She was a good ruler who called on Israel to uh, the Israelite men to behave as men. I would not call Deborah a ruler. She was a judge, a prophetess and a judge. I think that's supplying a word that's not in the text. He goes on. Of course, this use of Titus 2, 5 simply means it's a sin for a married woman to have a job outside of the home. And he doesn't agree. The passage teaches no such thing. I don't think it does either. Yes, the married woman is responsible for running the household, and I encourage mothers not to work outside the home. But if it's a sin for a wife and a mother to have a job other than a homemaker, we must stop using the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31 as a model. Sarah Palin is asking for a daunting dual responsibility that I would not wish on anyone, but does that make it sinful? Not necessarily. I don't think it's wrong for a woman to have a job outside the home. I think if she does have a job outside the home, it's her second job. Her first job is in the home. Uh and so I'd agree with Keith on that. Uh, then he says, goes on to say, if the headship relationships of 1 Corinthians 11, 3, place men over women without limitation, then every woman should be subject to every man as in Islam. The scriptures show us the proper application of the, of the principle. In the home, Ephesians 5, in the local church, 1 Timothy 2, female subjection to male leadership has been true since Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. Um but Deborah and Esther ruled Israel with divine approval. Again, I wouldn't use Deborah. Esther is another question. We've got another email about that. We'll reserve, we'll reserve some comments about Esther. So well, we've got five Keith, minutes to get to the rest that, of the that's comments. What, uh, that's what Keith says. Go ahead. Jack in Hampshire says, I'm one who cannot vote for McCain or Palin. Uh, it has been a struggle for me, but in the end, I cannot vote or give my hearty approval uh, and help vote a woman into a position of authority. Nick in Deckerville, Michigan says, from what I've read, this has nothing to do with religion. Proverbs 31 shows that a woman can work and provide for their family. Sarah Palin will not be running 
a church or preaching. She will only be serving in civil government if God chooses to allow her to do so. Matthew 13 speaks about submitting to authority with regard to civil government. Again, we would have to submit, but I disagree that Proverbs Proverbs 13, I mean, Proverbs 31 about the virtuous woman does not anywhere in there say that she had authority over men. It tells about her being engaged in profitable enterprise, but it doesn't say she was over men. I, I think we have to take Proverbs 31 off the table. All right. Rachel in Columbia says, if a person decides that a woman cannot be in any position of authority, do they also think it would be a sin to work for a female boss? Would they not obey a female police officer? Would they not go to a college that has female professors? If people cannot have a female for vice president, then it seems to me that they need to be consistent on the issue. And I am not sure that this always is this is always the case. We, do, we do need to be consistent. Again, this goes to the question, could you be in submission if that ex- situation existed, yes, you would have to be in submission. In the, in, but, again, could you contribute to making it so? A listener in Greenwood, Indiana says, if you say that women cannot be over men, then do you support the professional or the proposal that women cannot own a company and have men working for them? Some women are in a position where they have to support themselves. They start their own businesses, and it grows, and she has to hire men and women to work for her. Is this wrong? Well, again, if it's wrong, it's wrong, and, and the fact that she – started the business and hires men, and she's got that situation existing already, doesn't make it right. That's what we've got to analyze. And I, personally, again, I wouldn't be comfortable with that. Another Nick says, there's always a question about the character of those who run for public office, and we personally rarely know these individuals. Uh, I would vote for Sarah Palin if I voted for the office of vice president. I don't feel the scriptures forbid a woman from holding office. I do feel the scriptures that are often used to forbid a woman from holding political office are being interpreted according to the contextual intent of those texts. Uh, and then he goes on to say the instruction of 1 Timothy 2 is limited to Christian women. Paul is addressing Christian behavior. Verse 10 clearly points out that this is speaking of women who claim godliness. The context appears to me to be addressing Christian women's behavior when among Christian men concerning the teaching of God's truth. Uh, uh, then if that's true, I would say we can't use that text to tell women they have to dress modestly except in the assembly when they're around Christian men. I don't believe that's so. All right. Mike in Kaleoka, Tennessee says evil is evil. If it is a, per- a person who thinks abortion or same-sex marriage is okay, does this make him more evil than the person who thinks it is okay to divorce and remarry, put himself, and is made in adultery? I don't know if I can really vote at all, but I do know that First Timothy chapter 2 tells us to pray for kings and all in authority. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Jack in, in Atlanta says uh, another question to look at is what about voting for a woman for governor, senator, mayor, other public office? Well, again, it, whatever we decide here would be applicable to all of those things. Uh, and he says too many people are voting for McCain-Palin when they know that he has not been morally pure. That's not the question here. It's not about the individual character of, an, of a candidate. It's about the broader moral question of woman, can a woman be over men. Thanks, Jack. Quickly, Stephen in Pennsylvania says, in Palin's case, the answer is that it is unscriptural for her, for her to hold such a position. Why? Because she is a wife and a mother. In First Timothy chapter 5, verse 14, it speaks of women managing the house. In Titus chapter 2, verse 5, it speaks of women as homemakers. Palin needs to be a stay-at-home mom, which is her responsibility because she has children and is a wife. All right, real quick. He goes on and says, however, I cannot suggest that a woman who is a wife is in sin if she does work. A wife's work is in the home. If she does hold a job, she should not neglect her responsibilities at home. We got an email from Jerry in Mississippi, but Jerry called in last week and covered most. I don't want to skip that one for time. I got an email from Sherry in Texas who writes, uh, I'm leaning toward agreeing with you that I cannot vote for her. But the thing I'm studying now is. Can a woman have any authority over a man ever? For example, if a plumber comes to the house to fix something while my husband's at work, can I tell him what I want done and how I want it done? Uh, she says, maybe not if I, if I can't have authority over him because if he's working for me, I'm his boss. I think there's a difference, a difference of relationship there, but I'm, I may be, that may be semantical. Uh, 
so uh, she says, I'm not sure where to draw the line. Jim in Tullahoma says he listened to the broadcast last week and enjoyed it. He says, I'm not sure that you or I, you and I view the lesser of two evils the same way. Certainly God does not accept any evil. Sin is sin in his eyes, though we sometimes think in terms of one sin being greater than the other. But when I think of voting for the lesser of two evils, my view is that I vote for the one that best represents what I believe that the Bible teaches. If one candidate stood for five things that were in violation of what the Bible teaches and the other candidate stood for only one thing that was against the Bible principles, then I would vote for the lesser of two evils, the man that stood against only one thing that was against biblical principles. If I didn't vote, then the man who was in violation of several things, contrary to the will of the Lord, might be elected, and such could lead to further deterioration of our nation. Appreciate Jim's comments, but again, I'm not sure I agree. What if the one thing, what if, what if the, one candidate is right on everything but abortion, the other candidate's wrong on five points, but he's right on abortion. So it's one to five, but the one thing that he's wrong on is abortion. We tend to rate things. I'm not sure God rates them. You know, evil is evil. So uh, we got to take that into consideration. All right. Keith in Lynchburg, Tennessee says, what about Queen Candace in Acts chapter 8, verse 27? Did she have the right to be leader over the Ethiopian eunuch both before he became a Christian and after? Okay, we can comment about that quickly. She was, and he had to be in subjection to her. We've okay. said that. If we find ourselves in that situation, we've got to be in subjection. The question is, can we contribute to making a woman in such a position? All right. Uh, Stephanie in Knoxville says she thinks of Deborah. Uh, a judge yet she she submitted to Bayrak. She thinks of Priscilla and her uh, teaching Apollos with her husband Aquila. Um, Lydia was a seller of purple. The um, uh, she asked about Queen Esther and somebody else here. We're going to get to one more question about Queen Esther. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, we don't have a minute. We need to hurry. We're okay. Over time. Uh, so let's go to that one more one more email from Mike in Chattanooga. Who says, uh, what about Deborah? We commented on Deborah. What about the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31? We commented about that. Romans 16, Paul commends to the church in Rome a woman named Phoebe, a deacon of the church. Uh, she was the, the word diakonos in the feminine. That word just means servant. She was a servant of the church. She didn't hold office in the church. Uh, so I would discount that example. Then he mentions Queen Esther. Uh, she gave a command concerning Mordecai. It says, go learn what he knows and why these things are so. In other words, she instructed someone as her messenger. I'm not sure that's being in a position of authority. But in Esther 9.29, it says that uh, the Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihai, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm the second letter about Purim. That that uses the word, I'm not sure what version that is, but it uses the word authority there. She wrote a letter with authority. And I'm not sure of the implication. That might be one to note, and you might like to study further, Esther 9.29. All right. We've had a good discussion, Dad. I think we've, we we glanced over a lot of emails, but I think we've covered them all. So uh, certainly a, a good discussion. Well, I'm really uh, I, I'm, I'm impressed about how much interest there is in this subject. Obviously, That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Obviously, we're not all in agreement about it, which is not necessarily a good thing. We should agree, but there's different points of view. A lot of things to think about. We encourage people to keep thinking about it. By the way, the latest poll number is still no 24%, yes, 76%. Jay, we spent two weeks on this. I think it's been worthwhile. Now we've got to let people decide what they're going to do. And that's not reason from the consequences, as we've encouraged our listeners. Let's not say if we accept this view, then it's going to require us to do that or this. Well, yeah, we can't say we've been doing this stuff, therefore it must be right, because we've been doing it already. No, if it's wrong, maybe we need to rethink some of the things we have been doing. And we must have scriptural authority. We can't we can't do this by faith. We can't live by faith. A woman couldn't assume a position of leadership by faith unless she can go to the scriptures. 
and prove from the scriptures that she has the authority from God. That's right. All right. We appreciate you listening to the program tonight. If you have any questions, as we've said, we encourage you to contact us at any time over email or over the phone. We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, collegeview.com. And, Dad, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you, Jacob. Enjoyed it. Look forward to next week. Thank you for being a part of the program. We hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.